Hey there, it's Jeff MacArthur. Here's what's on the podcast today. Should masks be mandatory in schools come September? The Toronto District School Board planning on virtual schooling and a University of Waterloo student on why he expects this year's school experience to be vastly different. All of that's coming up, so let's get to it. Premier Ford says he is skeptical, but the TDSB, they say that they want all students even those in early grades, to wear face masks or face coverings when school resumes. Now, the government's current position is that students in grade four and up are required, as of right now, to wear face masks. Dr. Simone Chakrabatri is an infectious disease specialist and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. Nice to speak with you again. Uh, Masks for all. Just let me ask you point blank. Uh, Do you think that's, uh, from a medical standpoint, is that necessary? You know, as I've said before, masks obviously have a very good role, especially indoors when people have difficulty with, um, uh, you know, physical distancing. The one thing for the little children is that, like, I can, they can say all they want, they're going to enforce it, but really how? How you ask a, you know, five-year-old to keep his or her mask on? Certain kids will, but other ones won't. I just think that it's something that is good to say, but in practice it won't work. I know experts at SickKids, they aren't recommending masks for younger children, saying that younger kids will be fiddling around with them. Uh, To your point, they won't keep them on. But just because it's tougher, and again, this is from a medical standpoint, doctor, just because it's tougher, does that mean it's bad health policy? Uh, no, and that's, that's a really, really good point. I mean, the thing is, there are certainly children that who will be able to do it. I think the thing is that um, with this type of thing, uh, the problem, I think, is the whole idea of enforcement. How are you going to enforce it? But I do think that recommending anybody wear a mask, especially in the indoor environment, I think is great. It's just that the enforcement part on the part of uh, TDSB it just seems very unrealistic to me. Yeah, is this another argument for kind of that staggered uh, reintroduction to school? We've seen that in uh, Denmark, and a lot of people are uh, pointing to that as a very successful example as how to return to the classroom and return safely. That instead of having elementary students and secondary students all returning pretty much en masse at the same time, if we had the younger students, doctor, return first, not for a couple of days, but maybe even a couple of weeks, and give the staff on hand a real chance to... Not enforce, I'm not so sure that's the word, but, uh, you know, make kids comfortable and make them understand, younger kids, what the expectation is, and then bring in some of the other older students who obviously can get their head around this, I think, a little easier. Doesn't that make more sense? Yeah, and, you know, we have the advantage here in Canada. We can look around the world and see what other people have done, and absolutely Denmark, Switzerland, there have been some success stories with schools, and I think that uh, the staggered thing is a great thing. Anything you can do, essentially, to spread people out, and I I like the idea. I know that they're considering it right now. We might hear something later today, but I do think that's a good idea. And we have to kind of look at these innovative things because it's a new thing for all of us. We're all learning and we all need to do what's best for everybody, including our children. Now, what about face shields, doctor? What do you think about those? Instead of masks, would it be easier? And is that a good compromise? Would it be easier for these younger kids in the early grades to be wearing face shields instead of masks hooked around their ears? Yeah, this was something we've been talking about a lot, actually. So face shields certainly have a place in terms of uh, infection prevention, and they sometimes are easier for people to wear, including children, as well as adults who have difficulty keeping a mask on for, say, a medical condition. I'm all for that. And look, we could even have some fun with it. You could put some designs on it, you know, play with the kids. I've given it to my kids, and they like it too. So I think it's something definitely to try. And again, it's an innovative solution for a problem that we are all in together. 
Yeah, and do those masks, the face shield, sorry, do they make more sense, too, because they also cover the eyes, where the obviously a face mask or a neck gaiter does not? That's right, yeah. And that's why, like, when you look at it in the highest risk setting, so, for example, uh, in, in healthcare, for example, when you look at that, it's adding something to the mask. Okay? We have seen some evidence that uh, the, the two um, on their own don't have as much protection as both, but exactly what you mentioned. It covers the eyes. It also gives that extra bit of barrier around the face where the mask might not. They work great, and it's something that we use in tandem in healthcare. I want to ask you, well, we have you here, doctor, also the TDSB has wanted to shorten the school day by some 48 minutes. Now, the provincial government has kind of quashed that idea, but medically, do you think that that has got some merit? That, to, to be honest with you, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that. The one thing I will say, though, is that, look, we're in a really good spot in Canada with our low amount of community burden of transmission, and I think that means low risk for everybody. And I think one of the biggest things about school is not just what the kids learn, but it's a place where they socialize, it's a place where they develop. And I think that you know, taking that away from our kids could have unintended consequences down the road and may have been really unnecessary for infection control. So I think the big thing for us, remember, we're in a good spot. We're trying to keep ourselves there. I think ultimately we will be successful. All right. Premier Ford once again asserted yesterday that Ontario has got the safest plan, the safest plan in the country. Would you agree with that? Well, you know what? I will say one thing. When you look at the plan, Ontario's plan is one of the strictest, right? But obviously, when you listen to the reactions to the plan, it, it makes sense. People have some trepidation because no plan is with zero risk of transmission. And that's why I, I can see. But I think it is a good plan. It's one that, of course, might need some tweaks. But I think as a start, it's a great way to go. And like I said, I think that we will be successful. I think we will be pleasantly surprised. That was my final question for you. When it comes to tweaks, is there something you think that we could be uh, doing better? We should be doing better? Well, you know, the, we, we've been talking about the class sizes. We've been talking about the staggered start. We're already seeing those tweaks, right? And I think a lot of it also might base on what's happening in the background community. So if we see that all of a sudden we have a massive rise in community transmission, there might be even bigger tweaks. We might have to stop school again. All these things are being considered in the situation. Overall, though, we're still learning, and I think we've done a great job in Canada so far. Dr. Simone Chakrabarty, thank you as always. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Take care. You as well. All right. The uh, TDSB, they certainly have been making all kinds of headlines this week. Yesterday, of course, they said it would take a miracle to return to the classroom by September the 8th. Last hour, we discussed their request to have all students, regardless of age, wear masks in the classroom. And also, the Toronto District School Board has laid out plans for a virtual school as they try to centralize remote learning. Now, with all of the problems surrounding remote learning, particularly early this, earlier this year, will this work? Let's ask our friend Annie Kidder with People for Education. She joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Annie, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. What is this virtual school all about and how will it differ from uh, virtual learning we've already seen? Well, I'm sorry to say that's a good question. I think right now there's so much up in the air that it is hard to totally understand. I think what they're saying, and the chair of the board said, if we had more resources, we wouldn't be doing it this way, just to be clear. Um, but that, and there's certainly a lot of scrambling going on, as you uh, was on your news, uh, among all boards to try and be ready for the for the start of school. And I think what they realized is that they couldn't have the the online learning be situated at individual schools uh, with teachers teaching partly online and partly in you know real life 
probably a bad way to put it, partly face-to-face. Um, and so that they're centralizing it so they will have teachers working together with superintendents and guidance counselors and everybody who are sort of on the same job working together uh, and working with students. But it is, I mean, I'm, I'm wavering because I don't exactly know how it's going to work. And I think even, you know, reading the reports from the board, um, they're just putting it together right now as of whatever the date is today. Um, so there's a lot of last minute, I think, uh, work going on. Yeah, I think the upside, as far as I can sort of ascertain and understand, is that this is, to your point, kind of a more coordinated and a, a real significant effort towards virtual learning. And also the fact that, and I also understand from the reading, that the teachers will be able to interact with students uh, this time around. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that was going to be key no matter where the learning was happening, that that this is a definitely an important part of it. So the change from the spring is that in the spring, it was an emergency. Nobody was expecting it. Uh, people were, you know, uh, putting things together as best they could. Um, and it was all teachers. Now there has been more planning going on to it. There is online curriculum, even though some of that's also still uh, in the process of being developed. And there, there will be quote unquote standards in terms of how much time real time interaction there will be between uh, students and teachers but it won't necessarily be you know the grade three teacher that you knew from before uh, because this it seems as if also this is a way of coordinating all the teachers who don't feel comfortable going back into schools uh, for safety reasons. And I think for me, the, you know, still the biggest worry about this is that, I mean, online learning actually can be great, not a replacement for school, absolutely, face-to-face is the best. Uh, but the worry here is it's still relying on parents and relying on families, uh, you know, to make sure the kid is there. Can you imagine a four-year-old doing all their learning online, um, but even, or a teenager? Um, so it's still relying on families to support this. And that's really not sustainable. And it's definitely not equitable because some families have the capacity to do that. And it's not just the technical capacity, but the time they the wherewithal, everything else to do that. And for other families, um, it's nearly impossible. So we're really worried this is going to kind of amplify the gaps between students and really disadvantage students who are already disadvantaged. But this is not just in the Toronto board. This is three quarters of the students in Ontario are going to be learning, high school students anyway, are going to be learning more than half time online. So I think boards are trying to put stuff together, but they are struggling. And as the chair said, uh, because they don't have enough money, basically, to hire yeah. Is that, that might answer my next question. Is that the biggest downside or con to this uh, virtual schooling and this uh, remote uh, learning? Is uh, Does everybody have uh, equal access and equal time to make sure that their child is getting the most of the experience? Yeah, that that is definitely the, the biggest downside. And even I'm a little bit worried that the parents who are choosing to keep their kids home are parents who have the capacity to make that choice so that you're we're going to end up with this uh, funny it's not, or not funny situation where potentially the families that are struggling will be sending their kids to school and the families that are less likely to be struggling will be keeping their kids home. And that's not good for public education anyway. Yes. And the other downside is that 
um, for kids who need to stay home for whatever reason, because they're in an intergenerational family, they don't want to put other people at risk, or because they're looking at the situation and going, the class sizes aren't small enough, they're not following what public health said. Um, that that it is going to be hard for some students. And, and again, it's not just whether or not they have good internet or a laptop. It's whether or not they have, they need grown-ups to support them doing this. And in families that are struggling to put food on the table or who have a lot of children um, or, you know, any number of other stressors, that's very hard to do. What is the upside then here, Annie? What is the biggest upside? Is it that it does give parents another option that if you are concerned about sending your child into school because of uh, health considerations or uh, concerns, there is an outlet, there, there is a way that they can get their education? Absolutely. And I think that that's why, you know, we have to sort of be wary of any sort of throwing out the baby with the bathwater or going, you know, it's all black or all white. Um, it, for one thing, it's 2020, so part of everybody's learning is online anyway, so it's good to learn about that more, good to uh, you know, know more about how to engage students online, how to use, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential in online learning, so it's not wrong, and it does um, provide uh, families with an option if they're not feeling that the option of just going back to school um, is good for them. But again, I, you know, I can't stress enough that um, that's what should have been done, that really this is, there's a kind of educational crisis here that we should have poured the kind of money into that we poured into healthcare and into economic uh, issues, wage subsidies, subsidies for small businesses. This one is the same level of crisis. And it was going to take a lot of money to make a difference, to make sure there were those very, very small classes with the right amount of physical distancing. And I think that then more parents would be wanting to send their kids to school. Because I think the one thing everybody agrees on is kids need to be in school. That would be by far the best uh, choice. Okay, yeah, we sit here and we weigh the pros and the cons, uh, Annie, but is virtual learning, you say, you know, the best option is to be in the classroom, but is virtual learning, do you think it's part of the future or is the best learning always done in person, done in the classroom? Well, I think that it's part of the future in combination. So I think that there are, there are lots of you know, what, what, some of the most important parts of education are really are built through relationships, students' relationships with each, each other, teachers' relationships with students, that human interaction, which does happen best face-to-face. But also, we live in a totally interconnected world. Um, the, 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 the potential in online learning is huge. I think that the, the difference is it doesn't mean an either or. It's either all online or all in person, but that we can be building a system that integrates both so that you have a combination of that so that you can because you can build collaboration skills, uh, creativity skills, a lot of the skills you need to, you know, be successful in today's world. Kids are already, you can, you know, work with kids all the way across the world from you on projects. So there's a lot of potential in online learning. It's just, but it's not a replacement for, for face-to-face learning. And right, but, you know, and right now we're having to use it. We are in a pandemic. It's, you know, not business as, as usual, um, so it's just trying to make sure that we're we're providing the supports too. And I would argue for kids in high school 
that they should, even though they're learning online, they should be still going somewhere to a community center, whatever, where there are people like child and youth workers or social workers or even, um, you know, student teachers supporting them and helping them stay on track because it is really worrying that we may we may lose some high school students along the way if they're just left on their own to, to figure this out. Sure. Certainly is not business as usual. I mean, the TDSB not only trying to centralize remote learning and have plans for a quote-unquote virtual school, they were also out uh, yesterday saying that they want masks for all ages, uh, all grades. With just a couple of weeks to go, Annie, just how confident are you that Ontario is ready for back to school on September 8th? Well, that's a really hard question. I hope that uh, we, we, our organization, along with experts from OISE and from Ryerson, um, suggested a kind of phased-in approach. So I was really glad to hear that the government said yes to boards, that they could kind of stagger in the first two weeks. I think we can be ready, obviously, you know, necessity being the mother of invention here. Like we, we have to do this. Um, it's being able to take it slowly. So trying to remember on all people's people's parts, it's not business as usual. It's not going to be business as usual. So there needs to be a slow reentry for the first at least month of school. We're really paying attention to how are the kids are, do we have enough time to assess where they are kind of educationally and emotionally. People are worried about their mental health. Um, and we have to make sure that we're taking the time to do that, that they, the entry into school isn't, you know, day one, let's sit down and do our times tables, that the entry into school is very, very careful in these weird times that we're in. And we're seeing other places where, you know, suddenly the numbers go up. So we also all have to be ready to change. That's the other hard part. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that everything may change in two weeks. Suddenly we've seen it already in the States. We open the school a week later, we close the school. And so so for boards and for teachers and for support staff, they have to be ready to pivot also and suddenly move everything online, um, worst case scenario. So that's all going on at the same time. My, my heart goes out to everybody working in the system right now, and they are working really hard to try and make it work. But it, it's a bit frustrating that this is happening now. It, it, I think that if the government had put together a task force early in the spring where everybody worked together and collaborated on the planning, there wouldn't be quite so much scrambling as is going on right now. Yeah, we might be further ahead, without a doubt. Annie, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time, as always. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. There goes Annie Kidder with People for Education. Well, elementary and secondary students aren't the only ones gearing up for a return to school. Of course, it's also back to school for university and college students as well. But for them, a bit of an unexpected surprise, a tuition hike for many. Christian Capsalis is a concerned student at the University of Waterloo and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Christian, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. No problem. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Uh, first off, uh, are you personally, are you paying more? And if so, how much this year? Um, no, I'm not paying more. I think tuition has actually slightly decreased this year. Um, however, not as much as I would hope it would. Okay, because, yeah, we are hearing uh, reports that uh, somewhere between 15% of students have been asked to pay more. And I think, uh, in particular, uh, international or foreign students really have had their tuitions uh, hiked. But uh, 
For those that have seen a bit of a fee reduction, is that because the experienced Christian just isn't going to be the same this year? That's what I've heard from many other students. That's also what I think. Um, I think they won't be able to replace the um, interactive things that I'll, that I would usually be doing, like joining sports teams and clubs um, and, you know, uh, going to classes where there's, you know, lots of people, get to meet a lot of people fairly quickly. So those experiences uh, might necessarily uh, not happen. Yeah, is that what you're going to miss most is uh, the interaction? I mean, there's one thing to interact uh, virtually, but, I mean, there's another thing to be face-to-face, and that really is, I mean, when I look back at uh, my university uh, career, if you will, or uh, days, I mean, that's the thing you remember the most. It's not as much the classes, but uh, what happened between classes. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's going to be a very different uh, experience, uh, you know, trying to meet people um, through the Internet, uh, trying to interact with them. Uh, you know, I'll still try and uh, make friends and meet, try and meet uh, up with some people, um, most likely people that are in the same building as me. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, going to be different. Has it made you Christian or uh, those within your uh, bubble, I guess we use today, I was going to say circle, but <laughs> people that you uh, interact with, has it made you think twice about maybe returning to your studies? That uh, is this really worthwhile? Yeah, I mean, um, I love the program that I'm going into. I've wanted to um, get into the computer science program at Waterloo for a few years now. I've had my eye on it. So um, although uh, I guess some of my experiences may be uh, diminished, I still think it's going to be uh, worth it just because of how great the program is. Yeah, how disappointed are you and uh, others, uh, you know, embarking on this uh, time uh, right now? I mean, this, this has got to be tough. I mean, you say you've had your uh, eye on it for, you know, a few years. You finally realize a goal or, or a dream, and then uh, unfortunately it's right there within your grasp, and it's not going to be, due to circumstances beyond your control, what you thought or hoped it would be. Yeah, so, you know, I'm trying to stay positive. Um, of course, it's easy to think of all uh, the negatives and the things I'll be missing out on. But, um, you know, I still have to uh, do my work. I'll still try my best and uh, uh, make friends. I have a roommate that I'll be staying with um, for two semesters. Um, so, you know, you know, there's a lot of positives uh, out there still. There's, there's still lots of things to look forward to. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about, we're going to talk a little more about this in our next hour, about virtual learning and whether or not that truly is the future when it comes to education. As somebody who is a consumer or a customer, if you will, of education uh, right now, do you feel as if the virtual experience, is it equal to or as good as being in class? Uh, In other words, do you think virtual learning is the future? I think especially because of COVID, there's been lots of progression in virtual learning and how uh, teachers are implementing new strategies uh, to teach your students uh, via virtual learning. Um, I still think that learning in person uh, is far better than uh, as if you were just to go on a Zoom call or Skype call or whatever you may. Um, I feel like it's also easier to get extra help if you're in person um, and also, you know, the interactive part of the learning uh, isn't there as much. 
And is it harder to skip class because do they know if you've signed up for the Zoom? <laughs> yeah, I haven't um I haven't thought about that. I assume <laughs> they're still going to uh check whether you're there or not. Um I'm not sure how much I mean they will care or how much it will affect them or you. Um but I don't really know how that's going to work yet. Yeah, well, that was one of my big eye-openers in my first year of university was, oh, they really don't care if I'm in this 300-person uh, lecture hall or, or not. This is coming yeah. upon me, and I've got to take responsibility for my own education. Christian, listen, we wish you the very best uh, with your studies in this year under uh, what is obviously different and uh, difficult uh, circumstances. All right, great. Thank you. All right, be well, and thanks for the time. Christian Capsalis is at the University of Waterloo talking about some fee reductions. Other students are actually seeing tuition uh, increases, but uh, all students, it seems, can agree on the fact that the, uh, the experience, the university and college experience this school year will be far different than it ever has been. And that's the podcast for today. Don't forget, you can catch me live weekdays from 1 to 3 right here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.